0: But there's only one road to Atlanta. And a high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Blair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What
1: a play, Ozzie Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside
0: the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me for my work over on TalkingChop.com, where I've been the minor league editor and deputy site manager for a while now. More the minor league editor for the past five seasons and then the deputy site manager for the last couple seasons or so. You may follow me over on, my, on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K. Joining me is one Gaurav Vdak, who you can follow over on Twitter at GVDAC or on the Braves Reddit Twitter account. As well as Matt Powers at Matt Powers thirty one on Twitter. How are you guys doing, guys? I'm good. Just
2: I'm watching some baseball. Well,
1: man. Yeah, it's uh, it's been kind of a weird week for us because we put in a lot of time into the Talking Shop uh, Top Thirty Prospect Rankings that we just released last week. If you want to t- make sure you take a look at those, uh, I actually just made an appearance earlier uh, where I was on Grant McCauley's From the Diamond, where I kind of go through and explain some of our reasoning on some of that as well. Uh, you can also look at last week's episode of Road to Atlanta where Matt and I got to go through and talk about why we ranked guys where they were and what kind of went into the, the list more in in detail and some of the specific questions that we got about why certain guys weren't ranked as high or were ranked as high as they were. So if, we're not going to kind of rehash a lot of that this week, but it's kind of put us in a place where we kind of really talked about a lot of guys really very recently. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to go over a couple quick talking points as to you know, some, some guys who are really showing out as well as some guys who are kind of puzzling to us as to what what's going on with them. And then we're going to take a bunch of y'all's questions. It's kind of just a get caught up on what's going on and what just kind of a, a little bit of a more interactive episode with our listeners. Uh, first things first, and I'll, I'll throw this to Garab first. Bryce Ball has been legitimately insane. And I'm kind of certain, I, I say worry, but I'm starting to think we might have underranked him a little bit on our list, even though it's it's rookie ball and all the caveats aside. I mean, he's been pretty wild. What do you think?
3: It, you know, I, th- I think that is correct. We we might have actually underranked him. Yeah, this is exactly what you want to see in rookie ball, right? I mean, a college guy come out and dominate. This is literally exactly what you want to see. He's got he's hitting three forty one, four twenty nine, seven sixty eight on the season. Thirteen strikeouts, thirteen walks, nine homers, eight doubles. Good enough for a 200 WRC plus. Like there's, there's proving yourself in rookie ball and then there's kind of standing out. Uh, I mean, the only reason he's not, I could see like the only reason he's not in Rome already is because Griffin Benson's doing a pretty solid, you know, like a close to a 780 OPS. He's not, he hasn't been bad, but he's been fine enough. So like maybe the Braves feel like there's no reason to necessarily get rid of him or promote him to create a move up for Bryce Ball, but like it's definitely coming because what he's doing and and over at Danville is is like just have some mercy on those pitchers to get him out of that league. Matt, what about you, man?
2: And I know I just said this last week, but from out the guy already, it's just ridiculous at this point. He has nothing left to prove in Danville. He does not belong there. He belongs in Rome. I realize Griffin Benson is doing great at the moment. He just went off on Sunday, I think it was, when he had a couple home runs. I think he had a double or triple with that, but he just destroyed the ball that day. But it might be time to promote him so that he could promote ball to Rome. And since we're talking about first baseman, how about Makai Baxter in mean, his debut today, 3-for-3? Three three. I mean, he might be ready to get the promotion to Danville pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, it does seem to line up where first base is not a position that is like one that is clogged in the Braves system. The Braves legitimately have a few positions, mostly on the pitching side, but a few other positions like catcher and a few others where you don't necessarily have the room or the roster space to kind of promote these guys at will. But first base is not one of those. I mean, I don't don't think Griffin is in such a position where if you put him in Florida – one as a prospect, you don't necessarily get worry about, you know, what happens to his development because, you know, he's been at Rome this is a, he had a, a quick stint in Rome last year. He's been at Rome all year. This year he's starting to hit a bit. You move him up and maybe see what he does if he can do something else against different levels of pitching. And then you have this guy in Bryce Ball who is tearing the cover off the ball. And if he's doing that and you really want to see if you have a legitimate first base prospect, which the Braves haven't had in a long time. Um, I, I think it might have been Freddie Freeman, since it was the real true was the last true first base prospect that they had. So yeah,
3: I mean the only one you could really say is Joey Meneses, but like he wasn't, I, he really wasn't a prospect. So it could be Freeman, right? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean Meneses would be the closest bet, I would imagine. You know, he they gave him a chance to kind of do some damage and move up the system a bit, but now he's playing over in Japan, which kind of tells you what you need to know about that. You know what I mean? Um, so if you move him up. And then, especially if Backstrom shows out, I, I question whether or not they move Backstrom up only because since he's signed later in the process and there's just not a lot of, there's, I mean, if rookie ball is a short season, I just don't know if they'd move him up. I don't know if it, I don't think, and I don't think that how he does in terms of where he ends up in whether it be uh, GCL versus Danville, that would impact where he would start in full season ball. If he, again, if he rakes down the GCL, the Braves have shown over the years that they'll put a guy in Rome if they think that he can do some damage. Um, and he performed well in the GCL before without having to go to the Appy League. So I'm just excited that they got this kind of value. Well, one, it's a great name anyway. You know, it's just a great baseball name. But two, getting this kind of value out of a 24th round pick is a big deal. And, you know, it, this may not end up being anything. We've seen guys in the past who have showed out in rookie ball not do much as they get into full season ball. That that could absolutely happen, which is why it's worth pumping the brakes a bit on a guy like Bryce. But Having a guy like this and getting that kind of value where we can even have this conversation is one, is something that's exciting. And you know, again, a guy we're watching really closely and he just, he seems to surprise and do damage every time he's out there. And I really want to kind of see how he ends the year. And I, I agree with you guys. I do think he ends up, he needs to be in Rome and I think he'll end up there, even if it's a kind of a short stint. Um, Tristan Beck. How about Tristan? He's uh come back from that groin injury and last four starts. I think three of his past four, he's given up zero on runs. He's missing more bats. What are you kind of excited to see from him, Matt?
2: Had a first-round grade on him last year, late first-round grade on him in the draft last year. So the fact that he's back, he's healthy, which has always been the big thing with him for the last, what is it, two to three years at this point, and he's missing some bats is just a great sign. I mean, he struck out 11 and four and a third in his last start in the GCL, and then since then he's come back and he's thrown just under 13 innings and has 13 strikeouts in his two first two starts back up in the Florida State League. So that's definitely a promising sign because he never really missed a ton of bats. He was always more of the one strikeout per inning type of guy, what you would have expected, but he's right now – Seeming like he might possibly even do better than that.
1: Gaurav, what about you? Have you? Has your outlook kind of changed on Beck since he's kind of come back and done well since he has returned from the injury?
3: Yeah, so a couple weeks ago, I know I was pretty harsh on him as, you know, he was my biggest, not like, quote unquote disappointment. And the main issue I've, I've had is he was, you know, a three year, I believe it was a junior coming out. So he was an experienced college player, but he still struggled with his command. As soon as he came out posting a, a near like four walk rate. So seeing him have one walk over his past two starts was, was kind of big for me. If he can keep that walk rate, that's the only really thing I care about to see from him. As long as he can, can, sh- can show that good command, cause he's never gonna have like the pure filthy raw arsenal. It's, it's a lot. It's just like, he's a, more of a polished player or a polished pitcher. So, as long as he's able to show that good command, that'll help his stock rise like exponentially going into next year, for me at least.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't really know what to make of him just because even before the injury, he wasn't pitching well, and I don't really know if the injury was bothering him then or he just wasn't quite you know settled in down in Florida. I mean, it was his first year in full season ball, so I was you know more, It's worth kind of taking those early starts with a grain of salt, but then he goes down with the injury, and this is close to two months or so he comes back and is pitched like a guy that you're really happy to have drafted in the fourth round. You know, I don't expect, this isn't a guy that I expect to be like in the top 10 of the rankings unless the Braves trade away a lot of guys. You know what I mean? Like the, the system would have to be pretty, I feel like the system would have to turn into pretty shallow pretty quickly for him to turn into that guy. But he's a guy that has a realistic chance at the major league rotation. He's, I mean, maybe it's a, maybe the ceiling is as a number three starter and what's more, but, and it's more likely that he's a back end guy, but He's a guy that has been highly regarded in multiple drafts now. You know, when he was coming out of high school, I know the Braves wanted him and he decides to go to Stanford and then he gets drafted and he decides not to sign and then he comes out and in his after his junior year, I think we were all surprised that it was even like he was drafted and that he was signable. But they, the Braves managed to snag him and he's a guy that, again, had first, second round grades in a couple drafts. And if you buy into that and you Say maybe he's not quite that level of guy, but it's pretty close. He could do he could do some things, and he's like a realistic prospect as opposed to kind of a guy you have to kind of squint your eyes and say maybe he's a major leaguer down the line. We'll see, but you you can see him as a major leaguer, uh, especially now that he's kind of come back and again, like Rel was talking about, finding his command, missing more bats. It, these are all these are all important developments. Now, will they stick? We don't know. I mean, this again, this is a four start sample size where he's been good. And something we have to keep monitoring, and especially with him, is making sure he stays healthy. Uh, missing a chunk of time this year is something that is fair to, uh, you know, evaluate him with, considering his injury history in college. But overall, again, really nice to start, really nice comeback for him. Um, Joey Wentz, uh, I'm going to go to Garral first on this. I did not, ex- I expect J- Joey, when he's good, to be a guy that kind of limits contact, doesn't strike out a ton of guys. But could you know put together some you know six or seven inning stints where he gives up one run, but mainly on the the basis of just kind of getting weak contact. And he's been missing a ton of bats lately. What do you think, man?
3: Yeah, I've always been a huge fan of Joey once and his arm. Uh, you know, last four last four games. He's got a one point one one ERA uh, a four sixty nine OPS against right now. Like Eric was saying, you expect more weak contact, but he's striking out thirteen per nine. The only knock on him right now is his walk rate during that span is, is four is four per nine. Uh, I've always been a huge fan of him. I've always thought he was the second best arm or at least like talent wise. However, um, injuries, you know, injuries has gotten crazy in the way to the point where I don't necessarily diminish. It doesn't diminish his value for me, but I just can't think of him as highly as I used to. Uh, cause at any point, you know, he could be set out, he could be out for like three, four weeks because of a dead arm, cause that seems to be a pattern. Uh, that's really my only knock on him, but yeah, like Eric was saying, um, absolutely dominant, dominant, wow, dominant over his last four starts. Very encouraging. Hope to see him finish out a season this way.
1: Matt, what about you, man?
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. I. Definitely think it's a little bit with just his pitch ability and a little bit of deception that helps him because he doesn't have the greatest pure stuff, but he's missing a ton of bats. I mean, over his last four starts, he struck out 8, 9, 10, and 8, so the number the strikeout numbers are definitely there, and he has not, other than one start where he went seven innings, he did not go longer than six innings at any of those four starts, so those strikeout numbers are very impressive recently, but... Obviously, he doesn't have the best pure stuff, so he might only be a number three starter, maybe a number four, but you can't argue with those results.
1: The thing with me is that, and I get asked this periodically, I'd say about once a month, is, you know, it'll be posted that, you know, Joey's throwing 90, 91, 92. That's kind of where his fastball lives these days. And someone will ask me, you know, like, I heard, after, you know, during the draft that he was throwing in the mid to high nineties in high school. That has not happened as a pro, period. Um, and I think that part of that was that when he was in high school, he, I think he has the ability to reach back and do that. But I think he could only do that in very short stints. And I think where his command is best, and where his, and where he lives in that low nineties is right for him. Now, it doesn't necessarily resonate well with some folks who also remember when Colby Allard was throwing in the mid to high nineties. Uh, in high school, and he didn't do that as a pro either. What is interesting about Wentz is that the secondaries are legitimately good. He has a good changeup, the breaking ball is good, and they play well off his fastball. Matt's right that the deception with him uh, from the left side combined with those better secondaries makes him more interesting than I thought he would be because coming into this year, I was with Grov in that the injury history has not been good. He threw 130 innings for Rome, which is no joke. But then he came back and only threw 67 innings last year. He's, had, he's at 91 innings right now, has made 18 starts. He's kind of on track for that same sort of Rome number that he put up. Um, and it, honestly, his numbers from this year are comparable to Rome in a lot of ways. In Rome, he was striking out better than a batter per nine, and he looked really good. And then the year after that, just kind of couldn't stay on the field, even if the numbers look okay. Um, the, 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 starting of the year where he was just walking a bunch of guys, which seemed like a chronic problem in the Mississippi rotation. Not just Joey, just everyone in that rotation seemed like he were walking everybody. And now it seems like he's kind of slowly creeping down on that walk rate, but also missing more bats. So whatever they're doing out of Mississippi, because I mean, there's a lot of guys who are starting to miss more bats. I mean, Muller's doing it, Tucker Davidson's doing it, and Ian Anderson's been on fire lately too. So what I, I feel like there's something they're trying to teach these guys in that Mississippi rotation to kind of boost the strikeout numbers. I do worry that it might be at the expense of command, which is something that is kind of hard for me to swallow, but it's kind of weird that the, that whole Mississippi rotation kind of has this, both some of the same problems, but also some of the same things that we're seeing development and we're seeing increases in. Um, I, I just worry, I mean, the, in Florida, I think he may have had a, missed a little bit of time with some fatigue in his arm, but I think there was also like an oblique injury he had to deal with. And he's had, he had dead arm in high school and then he had dead arm when he was in rookie ball. And as a starting pitching prospect, you need to be able to get through a year period, I mean period. And you need to be able to make it through the full season and try to stay on the field. We'll see if that actually is what ends up happening because we're kind of getting to the point where we are hitting that hundred in period of time where we wonder how are guys going to push through that? How is Joey going to be able to get past that and kind of get back to that mark where he was at in Rome and get through a full season without missing time. It's too early to tell. Um, uh, But the last the last four starts he's only given up three earned runs, which is legitimately good. And came and comes after a stretch where his previous five starts before that he was giving up some runs and having trouble kind of making his way into starts. So we're seeing development, and it's fair to you know you can look at his overall line. The ERA is above four, but we're seeing changes and we're seeing improvement. We want to note those things because if you just kind of look at the overall line, you're like, okay, sure, I guess you know you know too many he's walking too many guys, he's striking out guys a bit, but Everything else is, everything is improving in front of us. And hopefully we bring, we get those walk rates, that walk rate down some and he finishes the year strong because I think that's going to change a lot of people's perception about, of, of him, particularly on the national level. Uh, one last thing before we kind of get into the questions part of the podcast is Alex Jackson, a guy that did not make our top 30, by the way. Um, he was, he was close. I, I think that the, everyone here would agree that the biggest question is that we just don't think that, even that he's, even though he's on the forty-man roster, we just are really, really, really not convinced that the hit tool will play at all in the major leagues. Um, combined with the fact that he's a bit, he's a bit raw behind the behind the plate, even still, it's gotten better. He's been on a tear. He's been going wild uh, in Gwinnett. Matt, what are you kind of what do you make of Alex Jackson right now? Because I honestly don't really know what to make of him right now.
2: I kind of feel the same way. I'm not sure what he is. I mean. Most likely he's gonna end up being a backup catcher type of bench bat because you just don't know that he's gonna hit enough. I mean, the defense is improved, but he's not an asset behind the plate as much as he could be maybe a playable catcher with a little bit more work. So when you take that with the questionable hit tool, even though he's got some power in that bat, I mean, what does he have? 20 home runs on the year or so this year? He is at as I pulled that yeah, up, it's yeah, that's yeah, twenty. But he only has six doubles, which yeah,
1: he, his profile is okay. a weird one. I have some thoughts, but um, I mean, Gravity, do you, I mean, you have anything you all want to add to it?
3: Uh, I, I think he's pretty much a guaranteed major league, uh, guaranteed major league catcher. Because if someone like Martín Maldonado can get traded for. Uh, by a team trying to play for a playoff spot, Alex Jackson can more than he's more than capable of playing like him. Like Martinez had a seventy-seven WRC plus, and the Cubs traded for him. Alex Jackson, I don't think he will ever hit. I mean, the dude barely hit in in the minors as is. Uh, like the tear he's on, oh, hold on, I have the stats right here. The, the tear he is on right now, 381, 409 with a 1.024 slugging percentage. So that's a 1.433 OPS over his last 12 games. No, I'm not going to discredit him there at all. The overall, like, landscape of his entire career is his hit tool just hasn't played. It hasn't played at any level. Why would it suddenly play at the highest level there is? Uh, when he does hit the ball, he hits it four power, you know, He's got like a, a almost 600 slugging percentage on the season, but the issue is, will he be able to hit the ball enough to offset, the, you know, to like offset the, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, will he actually be able to make contact enough for him to play out as a regular, everyday catcher? Which I do not see, but uh, I do think he is good enough to be at least, you know, at least have like an eight to ten year MLB career as a backup catcher that gets spot starts every now and then and might have like a nice little tear, kind of like estadio did this season where he was like, he caught on fire for like a month. I could see Alex Jackson doing that totally. I just don't think I, he's a starting catcher.
1: I don't think you could have picked more polar opposite hitters I, than, yeah, Williams, I know, I know. than Williams, Estadio and Alex sense. Jackson. A guy who never strikes out will swing at any pitch at his eyes, <laughs> but
3: well, I, I, I get what you're saying. Is that, yeah, yeah, like, they'll, they'll go on their streaks. They'll go crazy for 15 to 18 games, but no, they're not starting catchers. Like, that's just, that's just how it is.
1: Here's my thing, and I, it goes to what you guys are saying, is that I don't think that it can be – look, his tear in July where he's posted like a near 1,300 OPS and is batting three sixty four has been awesome. In those 10 games, again, his hit five home runs, he gets all of his value from his power. And we're not talking about Joey Gallo here, where he can get away with hitting 230 when all of your hits are home runs. You know what I mean? I mean, by, by month, he was betting in April, 143, in May, 228, in June, 210, before July. You know what I mean? Yes, their powers, the power has been there, and he has drawn some walks here and there i mean those are real things i'm not going to like completely ignore that but i don't think that people fully understand that if you have a like a barely a passable hit tool in AAA, how much you could get exploited in the in the majors i mean like we're we're seeing what's happening to austin riley and the adjustments he's having to make right now and his hit tool wasn't anywhere close to as questionable as what alex jackson is I mean, it's, it is, hitting in the major leagues is extraordinarily hard, and the guys who hit well in AAA still often struggle. The guys who are struggling to make contact in AAA, it is very hard to envision any world where they would make they, they an impact in the major leagues. Now, that said, the bar for catchers is remarkably low. Um There are a few, like, good hitting catchers around the league, but there's not that many of them, and if you have a questionable hit tool and how much your power or whatever plays in games, you need to be a really good game caller and defensive catcher. I'm not saying that Alex Jackson doesn't have the ability to be either of those things, but he isn't that right now. And he's still kind of learning the crease. He's kind of having to come back to being a catcher after being converted to the outfield. Cause he was being groomed solely for his bat. And if your bat is especially your hit tool, that questionable, you need to provide something that uh, defensively to kind of, be a valuable, <laughs> to be an asset on a major league baseball team. Now, that said, again, the bar isn't particularly low. I mean, the bar isn't particularly high. And maybe that, that means that one of Tyler Flowers or Brian McCann doesn't come back next year. I would guess it's Tyler Flowers. And Alex Jackson comes up and he occasionally has a three game stretch where he's, you know, launching balls into the, the stratosphere. But most of the time, he's just going to be a guy that is serviceable. And maybe that's good enough especially in a platoon situation. But overall, I mean, we get asked about him a a decent bit, and the reason is we just don't believe in the hit soul. We just don't. The run he's on is great, and we're not going to ignore it because, again, what he's been doing lately has been absurd. But overall, it's at some point when you're this close to the major leagues and you have this much of a track record like he has, we have to kind of just make a decision, like, is he a guy or not? And right now for us, he isn't. We could be wrong, and in 2020 he's platooning with Brian McCann or something, and you know, occasionally making us look silly. But it's just it's a real concern when we feel like more often than not he's going to be kind of an 0 for 4 with two with two strikeouts guy. Before we get into the questions, we're just going to take a short break so you can listen to an ad. All right, guys, and we're back, and this is the question-answer portion of the podcast. Earlier today, I took out some uh, a little call to get some folks to answer some question, ask some questions about what we could talk about on the podcast uh, for this, this particular segment, and as always, you guys never disappoint and make sure you ask a lot. You ask a lot of really interesting questions and ones we don't answer all the time. Uh, Daniel actually asked one that we've been asked a few times over the years, and it's worth visiting, but again, kind of you have to kind of understand we have a certain frame of mind when it comes to this sort of question. And Daniel asked what pitching prospect or prospects in the brave system have true ace potential. Uh, Grav will go first to you, then to Matt.
3: So there, there are pretty much three that stand out to me. Uh, Ian Anderson, took you to Cal, right? Those are the three that I think have the potential to, to reach that ace status. Uh, however, I think of the three, Ian Anderson has the best opportunity to do so. Uh, we've seen Tukey struggle a, a, t- a lot this year. Things just kind of unwind for him at times. And then you've seen Kyle, like he's on an impressive streak of his own right now, but you've seen him and Matt's talked about it like a lot where you see him mentally struggle on the mound and he kind of just falls apart. So yeah, long story short, those three with Ian Anderson having the best chance.
1: Matt, what about you,
2: buddy? Same thing, except an outside chance that Muller gets there as well. I mean, what he's shown this year when he's on, and specifically the command, because the command has come and gone multiple times this year at this point, so there are real reasons to worry about the command holding him back from reaching his ultimate ceiling. But the strikes that he's made after the work that he's put in with Driveline in the past year— have just been very noticeable. And I think that should he be able to be a little bit more consistent with the command that he is right up there with those guys. I think that obviously Anderson has the highest potential to be an ace. Wright is probably the one just behind. Chooke is a bit of a long shot because he also has his command issues and I'm questioning just the way he's been used at this point. I would, if it was up to me, I would send him down to AAA, let him get his starts in, let him build his arm back up, and just work him out as a starter, because I don't think that he's done great out of the pen, especially recently. And then Muller is probably the fourth guy on that list because his stuff isn't quite Tukey level, and he also has some command questions, even though his command instance is significantly better than what Tukey's is, but it's also significantly worse at times because he does have a very hard time finding the strike zone when he's really off.
1: So I have specific thoughts about this, and I've shared them in the past. Um, I think that there's probably between 10 and 15 aces in Major League Baseball, period. Uh, I I might take the under on on 15, but 10 sounds about right. The true aces, guys that are like perennial Cy Young candidates who every year year in, you year out are like guys that will give your give your team a win or at least give you get you a real chance to win a game. Those guys are rare in this day and age. They just are. And so to be that you have to have some things really going for you. You have to get a bit lucky and you just it's, – it's, it's a hard thing. I don't think that the, the, the term ace and the term frontline starter are even the same thing anymore. A frontline starter is just a guy that you're happy to start in game one of a playoff series for me, and those guys are very often not aces. They're just guys that are, like, very consistent and productive but not, like, shut-down guys because, again, I just don't think there's that many of those guys. I agree with the names that, the, the, that Matt McGraw put out there. I am um, I'm, I'm almost completely off of Tukey, though simply because the the stuff is unreal, you know, when he's on, it's, you know, it's a mid to high 90s fastball, and he can change speeds with it, uh, he has that kind of, that, that, the two scene that's more of like a splitter, and he's got the, the breaking ball, that, which ranges from kind of, you know, a show-me pitch when he wants it to be, to, like, this back-breaking hammer that, like, literally no one can hit, and being able to change all that up is really interesting, right, but, he has not been able to command consistently, except for parts of last year. His entire minor league career, and until he can do that, if he was able to do that consistently in the bullpen, I think that the Braves would actually be more interested in trying to convert him back into a starter. Which doesn't seem particularly fair, based on how he's been used in games and all this other stuff. He's just been kind of he's thrown into like the long relief guy, and that's a hard role when there's just those opportunities aren't necessarily ones that come up very often and it, it kind of throws off what your role is and what you're t- what you're trying to accomplish are you trying to eat three innings up or are you trying to blow guys away the, the, like blow away just three hitters and that impacts kind of how you use your stuff and all that's the usage has been really weird with Tukey, but he hasn't helped his own cause there uh, i would like to see him get back down to Gwinnett and get some time i think that they're going to have to kind of clear out some guys to make that happen uh just because right now they need a, they need a bullpen arm and he's a guy that has experience doing it, plus in Gwinnett, there's just like uh, there's just space issues right now that they need to kind of resolve down there. That I think will be resolved at the deadline, or at least they'll be softened some. I think that at least one or two of those guys will might, might be dealt away uh, again, which will be sad because those are a lot of guys we really like. But overall, I think that in terms of true ace potential, you need to have like multiple plus pitches, and you have to have command, and you have to, you know. It has to be an easy delivery, so that way you don't get gassed at the end of the season or you take the risk of being hurt, et cetera, et cetera. And those are the four names that are the most likely. But I think it's an extraordinarily small probability, and that's I think it's true of any pitching prospect. There's just such a high failure rate already, combined with the fact that you can be a solid pitcher in the major leagues, and still people were like, oh, I wonder what could have been, and we thought he could have been an ace. When in reality, that's like... Of, of one of the peak outcomes for any pitching prospect is just that they can stay in the majors and
3: be productive at all. Um <laughs> I will take the under on fifteen aces. Yeah, I, I
1: I think that's a completely fair statement. I think you'll have guys who like look like aces for stretches and then just aren't that overall, but my
2: opinion is that it's about ten, but that we have four guys in the system who have the potential to be that, I don't think that four guys are going to reach that. There's a good chance none of the four actually reach that, but I think there's four guys that actually have that potential. There's probably about 25 prospects in the minors at any level, from AAA down to even the DSL that have, and that's probably even on the high end of things, that have that chance to someday, if everything works right for them to be an ace. So, I think when you're talking about prospects with an ace probability, it's a much higher number than the actual number of aces out there.
1: I agree with that, and I think that of the like those 25 guys or so that have a chance of being in the ace and the minors, like maybe one or two get there. Maybe like it, there's 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 entire crops of pitching, like like two to three year like groups where you could look at them, and none of those guys get there. Just none of them happen, and then one guy comes out of nowhere and turns into one, and you know that's kind of part of the fun of baseball. The next question is from a gentleman that I love very much, and he's very silly about this one particular topic, and that is one Doc Herbert, and he says, "Are you guys still sleeping on Daysbell Hernandez or no?" Grav, please go ahead.
3: <clears throat> Doc, enough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> gaurav has spoken matt what about you man who no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> oh trolling doc is fun but uh, yeah
2: that's really all i have to say about this subject
1: i will speak about this crush that Doc has for reasons that I, I kind of sort of understand. I maintain that Daze Bell might be a top five relief prospect in this farm system. I do not think he's the best one. Doc has asked that question multiple times. I do not think he is the he is the best one. I think that the best one is currently up in the major leagues right now in uh, Wascar Enoa uh, with Jeremy Walker right behind him. Uh, well, I, I take that back. I probably think I actually probably think a little bit more of Walker at this point. Um, and then there's other guys like Corbin Klaus and all this other stuff. daysbell has been really decent this year. You know, striking out 11.8 per nine. You know, again the ERA is 1.82. That's exciting. I would be a little bit distressed if you actually thought highly of him and he had an ERA over two in the Florida State League. There are things about his peripherals that are a little bit concerning. The FIps close to three. Walk rates over four per nine. I, you know, in terms of bad up against him, it's fine, but not awesome. The ground ball rate is okay, but not great. I like him. I don't love him in terms of, in terms of a, a pitching prospect. Maybe he turns out to be, turns out to be great, but for a guy that came into the season with 37 innings total in, in full season ball. He's already, what, he's 21, I think? He's either 21 or 22. 22. uh, And he's repeating in high A and hasn't been moved up yet in a year where a guy who has some experience and with some ability would probably be able to move up in a minor league system, I think tells you what the organization thinks. At the very least, he's not a guy that needs to be fast-tracked to the major leagues as a relief prospect. He's interesting. And we don't, like, we're not ignoring his existence. Go ahead.
3: I mean, if he had, like, a a decent slider than the, like maybe because like the fastballs, the fastball is crazy, but like he doesn't really have another pitch right now. So unless that slider becomes, you know, so it's it's tough. Like who, who's ever had a one pitch arsenal, Mariano Rivera. So like, I know his fastball is great, but I I don't see anything. And until that slider is at least like, at least a show me slider, uh, because like with that fastball, he's gonna blow by the competition in high A. But then he's probably gonna get start getting lit up in, in Mississippi and on. So like maybe maybe next year he comes in with a better slider. If he does that, then he'll easily move up and become a legitimate prospect. Well, legitimate relief prospect.
1: I will say this to you, my friend Doc, who I've known for quite some time now. If he goes to Double A and puts up decent numbers and possibly shows just kind of a a well-rounded skill set, then we will become more interested in him as a relief prospect. For the moment, though, right now he's performing well in high A, but not awesome in high A. Right now, consider him among the guys that we we keep tabs on, but not a guy that we're, like, super excited about. Um, Next question is from Donald Thren, uh, (laughs) who uh, said, Do you think we'll see Ian Anderson make any starts in the majors this season? Uh, So uh, Matt, I'm going to go, go to see you first So that's a tough question Because
2: I think if he was to get traded And well, I don't expect him to get traded I know his name will come up a lot in rumors And I think he'll be discussed I don't think he'd actually be traded I think if he's traded It would obviously increase his chances of pitching in the big leagues Because he's ready to move up now And I don't think it would be out of the question that he'd see some winnings in September. I think in Atlanta, probably not, maybe a start, maybe two, but I don't really think that there's the need to add him to the 40 man roster right now. So I just have a hard time seeing it.
1: Grov, what about you, man?
3: For me, it's, pretty much a hard no and that's because he's already at roughly 93 innings and the most he's ever pitched in a single season is 119 so they're definitely not going to want those uh, additional innings tacked on to be like high stress from his major league debut I mean I don't know how much of that is a real thing but if it is that would certainly be the reasoning behind that giving him the opportunity
1: yeah I think that both of you guys hit it on the head I think the combination of what his usage has been this season versus what the, like the most innings he's thrown combined with the fact that he's not on the 40 man roster and the Braves have several starting pitching prospects that are on the 40 man roster, some of which have seen time in the major leagues this year, some have not. And I think that when you have multiple guys that you, if you needed a spot start, if a guy got hurt, if something happened, that you could call upon, I just don't see it happening. It, 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 I think it would require him both to like pitch out of his mind for another month, which isn't outside the realm of possibility, by the way. I just want to throw that out there: is that he could go legitimately nuts. Uh, I think that they'd have to see him in Gwinnett a bit before he would, they would make any move like that. He it would it would it's it, I would call it extremely unlikely. I don't think it's impossible, but Garov's right in that. You don't want a guy to like reach his career high in innings in the minor leagues and then extend that for however many starts that you'd need from him, especially for a team that's in a playoff race. You don't want to like go, okay, let's see if he can throw 170 innings this year. And one of those get, and one of those last games is going to be in the like nationally championship series against the Dodgers. You know, it would require like something to happen in the Braves rotation that would require drastic involvement plus for Ian to pitch out of his mind. Now, Ian could easily pitch out of his mind, but I think that their Braves are going to have other options that they're willing to explore before they would say let's throw Ian in. Let's throw Ian in there. Um, again, I would say it's a, a low percentage chance. I don't think it's impossible, but I think it's a pretty low percentage chance. Um, the next is from anonymous. Uh, at that guy was <laughs> that guy that was T. I, I feel like I'm. Feel like I'm mis- I'm saying that wrong. Um, anyone from the Dominican Summer League to look out for that could be a possible prospect. I will freely admit that I've been looking at the dumb. I have not been looking at the Dominican Summer League at all this year. Uh, just combined with you know the the international signings. There's not a lot of guys that are interesting right off the bat, uh, or at least guys that are, have name recognition that I would even be able to do anything useful with. Uh, but I'm reasonably certain that <laughs> that our resident uh, Braves. Uh, prospect and really prospect encyclopedia, Matt has at least looked at a couple guys. So, Matt, do you have anything you want to add here before we kind of move on?
2: Yeah, no, I do want to obviously say that there really isn't a ton there. There is something there, but there's not a ton there. I mean, the guy that I'm watching closest Deuce Cesare Moreno, the 17-year-old Dominican, 6'4", 214, um, definitely a guy with huge stuff. But he's got major, major command issues to the point where he's walked more than he struck out. He's walked 12 against 7 strikeouts in 11.2 innings, and he's given up 19 runs, 16 earned, in just 11.2 innings. So he's got an ERA over 12 right now. I mean, the stuff is huge, but that just goes to show you when you're signing guys that are that low in terms of the amount of bonus they're going to receive, that when you have a guy with big talent, they're going to have significant flaws to them, which also, it doesn't mean that they can't correct it. It just means that they're going to take that much longer before they can actually potentially be something. And that's what you're getting with a guy like Merino. Another guy that I'm watching close is Carlos Pavia. Paiva, I'm not sure how you pronounce, P-A-I-V-A, the outfielder. Piva,
1: I think it's Paiva.
2: And he's also not done much of anything at the plate. He is 7 for 42 with a double. He's walked five times, struck out 16 times in those 42 at-bats. So he's got a sub 500 OPS at this point. So just the same thing with Moreno. You're signing guys to small bonuses. You're getting talent. But... You're getting flawed talent, so it's going to take a lot longer before these guys, and these are possibly guys that could need two full years in the DSL before they're ready to make their stateside debut. Uh,
1: Grab? I mean anyone in particular you were looking at, or is? This, I mean, I feel like Matt kind of covered it, but I just want to know if you had any names you wanted to add.
3: My my notes say let Matt answer, so
0: that's my <laughs> answer. <laughs> that
1: sounds about right. Uh, hopefully that helps you, Chris. Uh, that that helps you. Uh, anonymous. The next the next question we have is from Chris McLemore, who's asked questions in the past as well. And it's a fairly a, a simple one. Who would you rather trade first, Muller or Wentz? Uh, I'll go to Grau first, then Matt. Uh,
3: despite the higher ceiling, uh, I would... Well, for me, I think Wentz ceiling is higher. Uh, despite the higher ceiling, I would trade Wentz first just because of his injury history. Like, as brutal as that sounds, that's just... I would totally trade him first. Matt, what about you, man?
2: I disagree on the ceiling, obviously, because I did mention Muller as one well, of the guys. I will fight with... you. I will take that fight. <laughs> but um, with Muller, I think he's the guy that would bring more in a trade, so I'd have to trade him if I had to trade one of those two.
1: I was kind of hoping something like that would happen, because I think it's an important thing to note is that we have ranked our we have ranked our players and it is clear that we have ranked Muller higher than Wentz. So we would rather keep him because he's better than Wentz, but the return in the trade is super important. If it's the same trade and you have to sw- swap out those two names and the answer is Wentz, I'm I, I feel reasonably certain, right? Like that like w- I would rather trade the lower ranked guy to get the same return. But if Muller gets X guy who helps the Braves significantly get a chance at a World Series versus Wentz was maybe a smaller chance. That's a different calculation. And I think that that's an important one when people get hung up on, you know, well, these we get these trade packages all the time that are like legitimately terrible. Like how about we go trade for this team's frontline starter and we give up like our bottom six prospects in our top 30. The One, the other team's never going to do that, even if it's like a quantity deal. And two, it's not a good way of looking at things because if you like say, you know what, I want to have what I want to get a return that is substantial, but I'm not willing to give up anything of high value. Like especially in terms of an individual asset, I don't think that does you any good. I don't think that it's like a healthy way of looking at it. When the, the reality of the market is that if you want something that's a real asset, you're and especially with team control, you're going to have to give up a real prospect. And now it's a different question. Like, would you rather give up Mueller for a reliever that will be in your bullpen and a contributor for two or three years versus giving up wins for like a rental starter, that's a different calculation altogether. And I don't think that that's something that's easily answered without more context to it, if that makes any sense. So that, that, the short answer to your question is, for me, it varies depending on the context of the trade. Uh, next we have Kurt Steger, and he asks, there's a lot of talk on throughout Major League Baseball on swing changes and other player development that teams are doing. Are there any major draftees or players currently in the system that are targets for these types of development, and what is your assessment of where Atlanta is versus the rest of the league with this type of development? Uh, I'll go to Matt first, and then Gaurav. Matt?
2: I think that there's a lot of guys, but I think it really depends on what happens this year. I think you, it's hard to make changes as they adjust to pro ball, so you just kind of let them go this year, see what they do, and Hopefully, maybe they experience some failure to learn from that and also to see that their way might not work and might be more receptive to the changes because you have to remember that these draftees have never really failed all that much, at least at a high level. They're usually the best of the best or have a high track record of success depending on where they've played and what they've done. High school guys really are typically putting up ridiculous numbers. College guys are usually putting up good numbers when they get drafted. So you're just hoping that these guys maybe see I might be better off if I make a change, whereas as of today, they might be less willing to do that.
1: Garav, what about you, man?
3: Yeah, very, very similar sentiments. The only thing is the two that I would... Probably the most likely would be Bryce Ball and Backstrom, and that's simply because they're massive human beings. And once you get a ton of eyes on just people of that size, you're going to see some kind of mechanical flaw. Like the, those are really the only two, and I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, but just because of like their status as a human being as being like really the only reason why I could see them having any kind of adjustments made this early on in their professional career.
1: I think those are those are fair assessments. Uh, I, in terms of guys that I would like to see some changes to or at least some refinement with, uh, that would be Grayson Janista uh, as well as Braden Shoemake. And I think it's because that I think Braden has more pop in his bat than he's given credit for, but I don't think the swing is built to take advantage of it at all. You know, it's an open stance and it's for, like, hard line drives even when he makes good contact. It's hard for him to really get around on a ball and make, like, hard contact with it. I don't know if that necessarily would serve him well down the line, but I want to at least see them seeing, see if they can maybe get some more loft and maybe he can hit, hit the ball in the air a little more because I think the hard contact is real with him. Uh, with Janista, he, he's a guy that was a like long sort of targeted as a guy that needed some swing changes. And I am, you know, there's been some changes already made. Our, our, the returns on that have been really iffy, and I don't think he looks particularly, he's not comfortable with what he's doing right now. And I don't know if that means a change back, to closer to where he was with maybe some more minor changes or what's going on, but the what's what's going on for him right now is just simply not working. He's not getting around on balls. He's striking out at a higher rate than you want him to. There's he's not getting to the power, which is what the ultimate goal was anyway. Um and again, all the young draftees, all the prep guys, those are all guys that are gonna like be targeted with like, you know, like well, let's see if we can get some like the, the right launch angle for you and, you know, getting like, taking advantage of what power you have. That's all going to happen in Instructs. So, all the, I mean, Matt and Grover are right in that all those guys, whether it be Backstrom, whether it be, you know, Von Grissom, Michael Harris, all those other guys, Bryce Ball, just kind of making sure that their swings are consistent and that they can get to the power that they have. Um, in terms of the second part of your question, which was, like, how do we feel Atlanta is versus the rest of the league? I think that they're, they're certainly not, neither, I think there are some more organizations that just don't haven't really bought into what it takes to be a, a successful major league organization in terms of like taking advantage of launch angle and teaching that early. But I think that the Braves are very new to that. Um, when we had Kylie on the podcast uh, a while ago, it's that one of the things that they really wanted to see that, that he thought was going to be happening is they brought in some guys, some hitting instructors and some, and some analytics guys that are really good about giving guys chances or giving guys changes to their swings and instruction that will be more launch angle driven and be able to kind of get guys more to their power. So I think that those some of those tools are already within the organization. I don't think that they're as good as a lot of like the, the – I don't think it's like not the Dodgers, not the Astros. Teams like they have been really analytical, analytically driven in their scouting departments and in their minor league systems for a while now. I think they're behind them, but I think that they're kind of getting the idea. I think that they're understanding kind of what they need to be doing um, in terms of being able to get guys who have power and being able to put that in games. Uh, whether or not they have the right guys in terms of teaching that that teaching that stuff and getting those changes implemented is a completely different question and one we won't know for a little while, unfortunately. There's definitely some power in the Braves minor leagues, and I think that it will be interesting to see some of these what these young draftees do, and we're gonna from there we're going to see what's gonna happen. Um, one last question, and that is from Jason Wade, and that is this is a different kind of question. What is the best minor league ballpark you have been to and why? What park have you been to that you would really like to check out? Uh, I'll go to Matt first because I know he really makes the minor league park rounds, and then we'll go to Garav and then I'll, I'll share some stuff at the end.
2: Best park that I've been to is easily Lehigh Valley. I love that park. It's a very new park. It's always crowded. It's got great food options. It's got a lot of different stuff that's going on around the park as well, and just A good view just to watch the game. I mean, uh, some of the seats could be better to get an up-close scouting view, but overall, it's definitely the most fun park to just sit and watch a game if you're not trying to get behind the plate and get some readings on a radar gun, which is really my only complaint about that park. But I know that Durham and Charlotte both are very, very nice parks and parks that I would like
3: to see.
1: Gruff, uh any, any thoughts? I know your experience in getting to other parks is, is a little more limited.
3: Yeah, I don't think I've actually been to any opposing parks outside of uh, Gwinnett and Rome. So those are the only two. And of the two, I'd probably say Rome because I like the little ship. Uh, but the two that I do want to go to that I've always been envious of have been uh, Pensacola and uh, BB&T Park over in Charlotte. Pensacola's got you know the beautiful water behind the stadium, right behind the outfield, and then BB and T is in downtown Charlotte. So you get that beautiful city uh backdrop. So uh not baseball related, but those are the two that I do want to go out to. Uh
1: yeah, I would actually echo and I'm sure if Garrett was here he would he would say that the the one that I've enjoyed the most. I I've only been to one game down there, but that was Pensacola, the Blue Wahoo Stadium. Uh it's a great view, it's beautiful down there. Um I have a little bit of a soft spot for some of those weird little parks on like the, what was it? The West coast of Florida, like the Dunedin blue Jays. I mean like that, that, that stadium I don't think has been updated since the 1960s and you know, everything's kind of this weird blue color and stuff like that. But I kind of enjoyed that, that that whole West side of West side of Florida was really an interesting sort of place to be. Uh, And maybe Yeah, again, I think that most people would agree that Dunedin is actually kind of a terrible place, uh, in terms of the stadium, but I had kind of a soft spot for it. But in terms of the best I've been to, uh, the Pensacola, I really also have a a soft spot for the Rome, for the Rome Stadium, mainly because I think that the place is really well kept up. Um, a lot of, they do a lot of promotions, a lot of different things for fans, and, you know, I have a soft spot for them because it's kind of, it's basically my home park, and I don't live particularly far away from them, but it's also kind of a combination of, I, the product is Braves related, obviously, and also because I really do think they put in a lot of time and effort into making the experience fun for a lot for families and for you know baseball fanatics alike. So, in terms of that, now in terms of the ones I'd wanna, I want to, I want to go to, um, I've heard some good, I've heard some good things about some of the places like Victory Field that's out in Indiana, uh, as well as the, I've heard that the Biloxi Park is really good as well. So, and that's going to be down in Double um, I think it's called MGM Park. I can't remember for sure. But those are a couple of places that I like. I'd like to go to at some point, and wouldn't be crazy drives, and I wouldn't have to like drive to like you know the, like the PCL or anything like that to you know actually go see them. But if you are Braves fans and you are living in the Florida area, if the if you get a chance to go to the Blue Wahoo, Blue Wahoo Stadium down in Pensacola, I do actually highly recommend that. Uh, it's a great view. It's beautiful. Uh, high, again, that's that's the place that I would go. All right, guys, and that's all the time we have for this week's episode. We greatly appreciate everything that you've you've done for us over the since we've relaunched the podcast. The support has been um, amazing. Uh, we hope that we really like doing these mailbag videos or not videos these mailbag podcasts because it allows us to take a, talk about a variety of topics and ones that you guys care about. We can only talk so many times about Christian Pache and Drew Waters. Been I mean, talking about the top end guys as. You know, people want to hear what's kind of what's going on with them, but we don't want to do that every week. There's, there's guys that you got, you are all interested in. that are maybe a little bit under the radar or guys who are having breakout performances or guys who are slumping and you're wondering what's going on with them. And we want to be able to answer those questions and we want to do that fairly regularly with this podcast. It's kind of talking to, to talking to our listeners and seeing what's on their minds and hopefully generating discussion from that. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, make sure you go to the, Ro- uh, to the road to Atlanta Twitter account at road, the number two Atlanta. If you go to that, there's a pin tweet at the top, which is to our Patreon account where you can contribute to the podcast and allow it. And you know, it doesn't have to be much, You know, three or five bucks. We already have a couple patrons back after we've restarted back. We greatly appreciate those folks. And that support allows us to make more, take more trips. You know, Matt's constantly making trips already and we want to kind of continue to be able to distribute that money and be able to go and do more fun things and all, and all that and get, get more video, all that stuff. I guess we have to be a little careful these days about getting video in game of players because, you know, the, of, you know, the Major League Baseball's advanced media coming down on us. But other than that, we greatly appreciate you guys and everything that you've chosen to, chosen to, how you support us, whether it just be kind words to retweeting the podcast, sharing the podcast, telling your friends about it. The support's been great since we've come back and we really th- have thoroughly enjoyed doing it. So until next time guys, we'll see you on the road.